with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 181st program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for around 25 years now. I'm Jennifer Burrell, your host today, while my usual co-host, Jacques, takes a break. Um, Sunning on the beach somewhere, I'm sure. Today we're uh, seeing what Australia can learn from Finland, which seems to be doing so much better than us in many important ways. To help us think about this, I have Andrew Scott in the studio today. Dr Andrew Scott is a professor at Deakin University and he convenes the Australia Institute Nordic Policy Centre. Welcome to the program, Andrew. Thank you, Jennifer. So, Andrew, I was really interested in an article you wrote uh, for The Age in early December titled, What Will Albanese Ask the Happiest Nations PM? In fact, you start the article stating that Finland ranks as the happiest nation in the world, and you suggest we could learn a lot from Finland about how it does things. So firstly, Andrew Scott, can you tell us about this happiness ranking and what Finland is doing so well as a country to earn that top spot? Sure. Well, the World Happiness Reports are compiled annually uh, by economists including Richard Layard, and they've become increasingly robust and highly respected. They are in association with the United Nations, and they're an independent organisation that compiles them, and they look at subjective perceptions, so people's own reporting of their happiness, but also they correlate that with quality of life indicators. The interesting thing is that the Nordic countries feature very highly, higher than Australia, although Australia is reasonably high as well. Finland has taken out the top rank position in terms of global happiness five years in a row now. And it's... So Finland has? Finland has, yep, five years in a row. And it's often a contest between Finland and Denmark about who's number one and two. Um, So the Nordic countries are high, and that is one of many indicators um, that they do well on, prosperity, equality, gender equality, uh, and so on are others. And I think happiness uh, is more likely to... Be high in a country if there's if there's more gender equality um, yeah. for one, but also Finland we know uh, famously has a very strong egalitarian education system, and I think that is uh, a big reason for its high happiness ranking, which I can explain more if you want. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and the happy by happiness the metric um, this looks at things like satisfaction with life. Is it based mm. on um, feeling safe? Uh, feeling they have a meaningful life or have good relationships or feel sense of belonging, things like that? All of those are definitely part of the the the, the uh, uh, qualities that are measured mm-hmm. in the World Happiness Report. Well-being is another term for happiness, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably a better term, well-being, in a way. Happiness mm-hmm. is... I feel like it's often what they're trying to sell us on TV when they're trying to sell products, you know, having happy moments. <laughs> well, if you need to buy a product to feel happy, then maybe you're not 
happy enough. Oh, okay. Well, I think we should announce that to everyone. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, so Andrew, thanks for that. In this program, we've talked a lot about uh, growing inequality in Australia and elsewhere. But you say, um, you've just said, Finland is also a comparably equal country. Um, in particular, uh, people from less well-off backgrounds in Finland still have a lot of life opportunities open to them. Mm. So can you talk a bit about that? Sure. Well, I think you know, the most startling figure for me, and I quoted it in the Age article, is that when you look at the proportion of people whose parents have tertiary education who go on to tertiary education themselves, in America, you're seven times more likely to get a tertiary education if your parents have a tertiary education. Well, that's incredible. So compared to someone whose parents aren't tertiary educated... Um, if you if your parents are tertiary educated, you're seven times more likely in America. Yes, in America, to it, be tertiary educated. That's right. In Britain, you're six times more likely. In Australia, you're four times more likely. In Finland, you're almost no more likely. So it's, it makes virtually in Finland doesn't make much difference whether you're tertiary educated doesn't make any measurable difference. You know whether your parents are tertiary educated or not. That's quite. Um, that really indicates. Uh, that people feel they can take on opportunities in life and they're not so restricted by the family that they're born into and the economic circumstances they're built into, born it, into. That's exactly right. I mean, that's why it's such a startling statistic. It suggests real upward mobility on a basis of people's own choices mm. and not being constrained by uh, their inherited advantages or disadvantages in economic terms. Mm. It's very interesting and uh, it's a huge difference. And, and the most interesting thing about it for me is that Australia is in the middle. You know, we could become more American and more British. And, mm. and, and for many people in Australia, that's the, they're the only countries we look at, or perhaps we let in Canada and New Zealand because they're also English speaking. And we, you know, when we, when uh, politicians in Australia say, look, Australia's doing fine, we're not as bad as America or Britain. What's the problem? These are the same politicians who say globalisation is a huge thing now. We must, we must, you know, adapt to a globalised world. Well, the globe is a lot bigger than mm -hmm. Britain and America and the Anglosphere. Mm -hmm. And yes, we're not as bad as Britain and America in many ways, in, obviously in terms of gun laws in America, um, for example, but we're not as good as other countries, the Nordic countries, in many important ways, well-being, happiness, gender equality, corruption uh, and relations with Indigenous people. Mm, so I guess going back to that, um, having life opportunities not being constricted by what you're born into, I guess um, I'm really interested in the... We hear a bit about the Finnish education system, but I understand it's... First of all, it's properly resourced, and mm. some figures coming out I even saw in the paper today saying, even in Victoria, where we only finance public education to 90% of what's needed to provide the education. So mm. how are people... That's not a free education and a properly resourced education. And, of course, the Australian education system, we're notoriously unequal, you know, mm. feeding money to private, richer schools. And while public schools are funding... Uh, sorry, struggling to get enough funding. So... Um, and, and I think you mentioned about teachers too, how teachers are treated and um, yep. remunerated. Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, a big problem in Australia is our, our schooling system and how unequal it is. The fact that we have so many private schools that get so much government money, and that mm -hmm. is actually worse in Australia than Britain and America, in fact, that wow. the extent to which governments 
fund inequality in schools by giving money to schools that are already wealthy and that are charging high fees. Mm. It's, it's, it's an oddity of Australia that really came about because of the politics of the 1950s when the Labor Party split and the breakaway group uh, lobbied the Menzies government to keep giving money to Catholic schools in exchange for votes and state aid, as it was called, became entrenched in Australia. Mm. Uh, and many attempts have been made to try and improve equality in Australian education. The most significant in recent times is the Gonski Review. Mm-hmm. And it essentially said that there needed to be a rebalance with more funding going to public that is government-funded schools, less to the private schools. But unfortunately, its recommendations haven't gone very far. And the Finnish evidence is powerful support for now reactivating the Gonski Review recommendations. Mm. So um, I guess you also mentioned just then, you mentioned about um, Finland also is the least corrupt country in the mm. world, apparently, um, while Australia, we languish at number 18. <laughs> and I guess when they say in the world, are they talking about OECD comparable countries or just... All countries are included in the, in the, uh, the Transparency International uh, Corruption Index. Australia's number 18 in the world. Mm. Uh, the Nordic countries are all very high again. Uh, Finland and Denmark are right up there in terms of being least corrupt. Uh, New Zealand is also right up there too. And this is yeah. interesting that New Zealand... Scores well on that indicator, but also New Zealand has jumped up the gender equality rankings too to be up there with the Nordics in recent mm. years. And you know, we're coming the day after Jacinta Ardern mm. announced her uh, decision to retire. Yeah. That is that that is a, a sad decision because she's been a very impressive um, mm. Prime Minister of New Zealand and very associated with pushing for more gender equality, like like uh, Senator and the Prime Minister of Finland who met with uh, Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand mm-hmm. just before she met with Anthony Albanese in Australia recently, the first Finnish mm-hmm. PM to visit Australia or New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so corruption uh, measurements are done through another robust process, the Transparency International. This is relevant to the d- debate over the formation of a National Integrity Commission in Australia. Yeah, uh, so what, do you, what should we do learning from Finland and similar countries? Well, I think uh, you know, the formation of this Integrity Commission is important. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things that was an issue in the last election, along with the voice to Parliament and more funding for early childhood education and care. Uh, and it has been legislated by the Parliament. It will go about its inquiries and it may well find, I suspect... Well, we, already, we discovered a big thing after the election, of course, that the Prime Minister at the time, Scott Morrison, was Minister for a whole lot of other things that no one knew about, including his own ministers. And secret at, portfolios. <laughs> secret portfolios. Yes. And, not, and, our, and our brilliant intelligence services didn't know either. <laughs> so the Home Affairs Minister didn't know that he had another minister. And his, his uh, department head didn't know. And um, ASIO didn't know. And, uh, but the Governor-General thought it was all okay, apparently. Yes, the Governor-General kept private. <laughs> Very odd behaviour. This is not accountable democratic government. No. Uh, and th- there's a lot of problems with the way politicians build relationships in Australia. Um, indeed, it, with the uh, debate on the voice department, I've seen some cartoons uh, where a, a, a very wealthy corporate figure stands outside Parliament House carrying a big bag of money, saying, I don't have any problem getting a voice. 
uh, into mm. political decisions. The mm. relationship between corporations and politicians and the fact that many politicians, after they leave, enter private sector with using the knowledge they've acquired as ministers yes. and profit from it personally. Yeah, and you wonder if there was some sort of flagging that that might be a possibility while they were minister when they're going straight to a position mm. and building up those relationships that perhaps favour a certain sector or certain business. And I guess there's always a question mark uh, mark as well. And I think um, we've talked about that a lot in our program too, about the we talk about democracy, but we don't have one um, person, one vote in the sense that we all have an equal amount of influence. Corporations have a huge amount of influence on government decision-making. And look at their access. I, I've actually wondered sometimes if there should be a system that, you know, they have an open diary of who they're meeting, mm. supposedly, that they have to match that with um, meeting an ordinary person who they pull out of a raffle. <laughs> so, you so you know, we could go in the raffle and say, OK, I spent three hours with BHP, head of BHP, now I'm going to match that with equal time mm. with Citizen Joe, who's expressed interest in talking with me. <laughs> yeah, well, I think yeah, people will make their judgments on this. And from time to time, the Australian people do become concerned about excessive hobnobbing, if you like, of senior politicians with corporate figures who are clearly trying to advance their own business interests. The Integrity Commission will have to give it time to do its work, but there's a lot of work to do when, when mm. we're so far down the list of um, corrupt countries. Uh, and, and one of the things, the obvious things, uh, it would be to have some stricter rules about separation between public and private life. And then if you if you do have that privileged position to serve as a minister mm. in a portfolio, you can't go and profit from the knowledge you've got from it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and we must maintain the integrity of the the democratic process. Mm. Well, thank you for that, Andrew. I think so we can have a bit of a think about some of those things. We'll go to a break and continue our discussion after that. Thank you.
You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Dr Andrew Scott, who's Professor at Deakin University and convener of the Australia Institute Nordic Policy Centre. Andrew is explaining how Finland manages affairs so well in quite a few domains like well-being, gender equality, um, economic, social equality, education and corruption, and what we might learn from that country. So, Andrew, uh, you posed the question before, do we want to become even more like America or do we want to um, be more like Finland? And I think that's such an interesting question, especially as we've been quite critical on this program about the way we seem to follow, blindly follow the US, at least in terms of foreign policy, which seems to be leading us down quite a disastrous um, pathway. So I guess what did you have in mind when you posed the question? What would following the US entail if we went down the US road? And what would the Finland alternative look like? Yeah, well, I had in mind domestic policy, but foreign policy is important too. Domestic policy in the sense of improving our opportunities for upward mobility, improving our equality uh, in Australia to become more like Finland and the other Nordic countries mm. and less like America. So we're poised mm. between the middle, four times as likely to get a tertiary education in Australia if your parents do, seven times in America, almost no more likely in Finland. Wouldn't it be good if we could reduce that likelihood so that people could choose whether they want a tertiary education uh, or to do something else with their lives? Uh, and, of course, being happy means... Uh, being able to do what you want with your life, and a lot of a lot of mm. young people are pressured, uh, particularly around the time they finish school. Those late last year who finished their VCE in Victoria, for example, to choose particular careers which are high status, and they're often pressured in that way, not necessarily according to their own desires, mm. which of course are hard to know what you're going to do for life when you're 17 exactly. or 18. But but by the parental status pressures and so on. Yeah. Um, so I think. I was thinking of mostly of that. Obviously, I, uh, I, I don't want Australia to become more like America in terms of gun laws uh, or the um, imprisonment rates, no. the poverty, and so on. But I think yeah. in terms of foreign policy... Sorry, I just wanted to say something mm. too about um, the tertiary education. I think you've also mentioned that um, trades are more mm. valued in Finland too. So it's not that we're saying, oh, the the you know the pinnacle is to do be tertiary education. It's more having opportunity to follow the pathway that you want to follow. Yes, that's right. Because I think one of the problems we have in Australia is that too many people are being told the only way to be successful is to have a university education, an academic oriented education, in a white collar professional job, high status. Uh, and if you don't have such a position, then you have not succeeded in life. Yeah. And, of course, equality relates to security too. Security, like, rather than militarisation necessarily making you more secure, if you have a more equal country, that's a lot of um, more domestic safety and security as well. Yes, I think there's something in that. I mean, a country at peace with itself uh, is less likely to be 
feel threatened, of course. Now, it's an interesting time to be talking about foreign policy, of course, because Finland and Sweden have, have mm. very recently decided to join NATO. Yes. After not being in it previously. And it's particularly a big decision by Sweden. Mm. And that, of course, is, is related to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, and, and it sort of goes against their traditional neutrality in mm. alignment, yeah. It does, but I think it's a complex story. Uh, when Prime Minister Sanna Marin was here, she spoke to the Lowy Institute, and I, I attended that, and she did talk quite a bit about that and concerns that Finland and Sweden have that Putin, Putin's Russia and his invasion and his other activities, the mysterious disappearances of these oligarchs with whom he falls out after sipping a cup of tea, a um, t- t- bit too often to be a coincidence, uh, that containing that requires them now, in their view, to join NATO. But NATO now is not the same as NATO as it was at the height of the Cold War, because NATO is essentially a European confederation that is an ally of America. Yeah, it's, a, it's maybe just briefly say what NATO is. For NATO to stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, which has been there a long time against the Warsaw Pact. Which was the, the Warsaw Pact was um, the USSR um, aligned Indeed, at the height of the Cold War. But the interesting thing about NATO's evolution is that since the Cold War is that it's uh, it's actually now led Secretary General Sean Jen Stoltenberg is a former Social Democratic Prime Minister of Norway. Mm. He, so a Scandinavian Social Democrat is, is the leading official in NATO. Several former Soviet bloc countries have chosen to enter NATO by their own choice. Their mm-hmm. people have chosen to enter. Now Finland and Sweden have chosen to enter NATO despite their opposition to it during the, the Cold War period because they didn't like the the uh, the high military tensions at mm-hmm. that time. But the impression I got from listening to Sana Murren's speech at the Lowy Institute was that she was essentially saying Finland and Sweden need to be part of a stronger European community which has military capacity. They want Europe to become a power in its own right, an armed power in its mm. own right, because that will lead to greater security for European member countries. And at yeah. the moment, Europe does not have the military capacity to match its economic and social achievements. Yeah. The European Union doesn't. Yeah. Uh, if it did, then it, that would not necessarily mean being always agreeing with America, because one of the interesting things about Europe in recent decades has been that European countries have often disagreed with America, including mm. in the war on Iraq. Mm. France and Germany did not join that. Yeah. It was not part of the coalition of the willing. So, so I think we could talk probably for a whole pro- – this is a sort of a topic mm. for a whole program and it would be good to have you come back probably and talk more about that. I'm just, one, I'm just looking at the clock and seeing mm. we're going to be finishing up soon. So I guess um, I wanted to ask you about um, – well, one is – as various things that Finland are doing better that we can follow, and I think you've talked about some of that already. But um, in particular, can you talk about um, Indigenous people in fin- mm. Finland, the Sami, and how they are treated um, there by Finland? And is there something Australia could learn from the Finnish way of doing things in relation to Aboriginal people here? Yes, the Sami people, the Indigenous people who live in Finland, Norway, parts of Sweden and Russia... Uh, in each of those three Nordic countries I mentioned has a an Indigenous parliament. Mm. Uh, and it's relevant to the voice debate here. I personally support the voice here. And I do think, and Prime Minister Albanese talked about uh, the Sami parliament with Sana Marin when she visited. The Norwegian parliament in particular has a strong autonomous voice 
uh, of Indigenous people, a parliament that has considerable independence. And Finland, not quite as strong. Sweden, even less strong. The Prime Minister, Sun and Murren, seems to want to strengthen Finland's uh, institutionalised voice for the Sami people and make it more like the Norwegian approach. And I think that's very relevant and can inform the Australian voice uh, proposals. Yeah, thank you for that, um, Andrew. And there are obviously lots of varying voices, uh, sorry, voices on the voice, Mm. if I can say it like that. And we are planning in this program to try to cover different, uh, different points of view around it. But I guess the impression I'm getting so far is some of the problem with The Voice is that a lot of um, Aboriginal groups and people have felt excluded from the process, even at this stage, leading up to organising The Voice. So it is quite complicated. And, um, and so I thank you for putting it on the table and we will come back to that in the program. So I can't believe we've come to the end, but we have covered a lot of ground. And I think some of the issues you've raised, Andrew, would be worth having a whole program on, like Mm. gender equality or Mm. the school system. But um, I guess that's a a real... I think what's important is it's a taste that things can be done differently. You know, it's Mm. we're always fed this idea that there's only one way of doing things, you know, and we put it all under one word, democracy, as if that explains and describes what we're doing. But there's lots of different ways that we can organise ourselves as a society and um, human beings have done that throughout history, um, which was covered really well in a book I referred to recently, The Dawn of Everything, um, which is David... Graeber and I've forgotten the second author's name, two Davids anyway. Mm-hmm. So thanks so much for coming on to the program, um, Andrew, and it has been quite illuminating and I'm sure, like me, listeners have lots of questions, which is a good thing. And uh, and as I say, there are certainly many alternative and better ways of doing things and, and managing ourselves as a country than what we're doing. And we need really to expand our imagination our, and our ideas of the possibilities. And we can evidently learn a lot from Finland in particular. Thank you, Jennifer. <laughs> so for our community announcements, um, there's uh, uh, the Tana Minuit and Maboy Henier commemoration at midday. Um, that's uh, today, Friday 20th of January, for people who are listening to it live. These two Indigenous freedom fighters, Tana Minawait and Malboy Henia, were the first men executed in Victoria in 1844, sorry, 1842, for resisting the British colonisation of their lands and the destruction of their people and their way of life. So the commemoration is on the corner of Victoria Street and Franklin Street, Melbourne. You can listen to it live um, from 12 to 1 on 3CR or join the crowd in the city for the full event. Details can be found on the 3CR website. So that's 12 to, to, um, starting at 12 o'clock, corner of Victoria Street and Franklin Street. And also next Thursday, the Melbourne Invasion Day protest is also coming up. So that's Thursday, January uh, 26th of January at 11am at Victorian Parliament House on Spring Street, Melbourne. The protest will be hosted by the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to Think Again live on 3CR Community Radio today. If you want to contact us, you can email borderlands at borders at borderlands.com. 
Our programs are available by podcast and on the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Meanwhile, please enjoy Milkumana by King Stingray. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.